0: Ourselves in the book of Acts uh, again, um, Acts chapter six is where we left off last time. If you need a Bible, if you don't have one with you, so that you can follow along, put your hand in the air. My friend, Mister Moore, will gladly put one into your hand. Again, something maybe that we we haven't done as a matter of uh, practice in the past, but I'm convinced that it's good for us. In just, for just a moment, just a few uh, seconds this morning, maybe a half a minute, is let's quiet our hearts and our minds before we even hear the word of God. That we might receive what it is. That we might be honest before the Lord in our own hearts and in our own minds as we sit here. declaring in our hearts and minds our dependence upon him and our dependence upon his word that we might hear it and receive it and then we might do it so let's just take a moment and quietly sort of reflect and and be ready to hear what god says to us well thanks be to god this morning for his word i'm going to begin in chapter 6 verse 8 and I'm going to read through um, chapter 7, verse 8, and uh, then we will go back and kind of break down. If you're new to us here this morning, one thing I want to emphasize to you is that we, uh, we believe that the way to get the whole counsel of God is to go through it line by line, precept by precept, that uh, we leave nothing out. Uh, We have no agenda, that we just go through the Word, and as the Word of God speaks to us individually, He also speaks to us corporately, and that the direction that God is taking us as a church, He also takes us each on that journey together, and it helps us to build a family, uh, to build a family of believers who are all going in the same direction, guided entirely by the Word of God. And so, um, we find ourselves today in Acts chapter 6, and so... As we get started, we'll kind of give you—I'll bring you up to speed of where we've gotten to so far and uh, where we're going to from here. So, Acts chapter six, uh, beginning in verse eight, and Stephen, full of grace and power, was doing great wonders and signs among the people. Then some of those who belonged to the synagogue of the Freedmen, as it was called, and of the Cyrenians, and of the Alexandrians, and of those from Cilicia and Asia, rose up and disputed with Stephen. But they could not withstand the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. Then they secretly instigated men who said, We have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and God. And they stirred up the people and the elders and the scribes, and they came upon him and seized him and brought him before the council. And they set up false witnesses who said, This man never ceases to speak words against this holy place and the law. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place, and will change the customs that Moses delivered to us. And gazing at him, all who sat in the council saw that his face was like the face of an angel. Chapter 7. And the high priest said, Are these things so? And Stephen said, Brothers and fathers, hear me. The God of glory appeared to our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia. Before he lived in Haran. And said to him, Go out from your land and from your kindred and go into the land that I will show you. Then he went out from the land of the Chaldeans And after that, they shall come out and worship me in this place. And he gave them the covenant of circumcision. And so Abraham became the father of Isaac and circumcised him on the eighth day. And Isaac became the father of Jacob and Jacob of the twelve patriarchs. This is the word of God this morning. And I say, thanks be to God. So as we have been um, uh, traveling along, we've talked a lot about over the past several months about... Um, being steadfast in the apostles' doctrine, in fellowship, in uh, in communion, and in prayer. Right? We've talked about these things that we are to be doing. That seems sort of an internalized uh, um, relationship that we we have some growth to do uh, personally, and as we do this growth personally and corporately as the church, that. We can get caught in this idea that's about ourselves and about our own personal growth and about our own church growth. All of that is, is, is a great um, uh, reminder that we are to be about those things, that those things are very, very important, that those things are distinct That um, as we operate as a church. And so as we look at Acts 2.42 and we, we, we see that the uh, disciples were steadfast in the Apostles' Doctrine, steadfast in fellowship, steadfast in the breaking of bread, and steadfast in prayer. That these are the things that they were doing, but there's a big purpose behind what it is that they were doing. And we're going to see this in the scripture this morning. As I've been thinking about this week and about this text and about where it's taking us from uh, where we've been as to where it is that we need to go. Something dawned on me that all of this inward work, there's a lot of inward work in Acts 2.42, but all of this inward work is preparation for an outward expression and an outward expansion of our Christian witness to the world. And the reason why we say steadfastly in those things is that you cannot give away that which you do not possess. There is no way you can give away God's love. There's no way you can give away the truth of the Scripture, unless that has penetrated you, unless you own that, unless you are part of that, that is the only way that we can give that out. And so, as we look here at um, the Book of Acts, I want to give us just a brief overview of the whole book again, but in a different way. Um, something that I that I saw this week that it, it just it became really clear to me that there's there's some patterns, there's some uh, design. Who knew that God, the great designer, would design this in such a way that it makes absolutely perfect sense to me? That um, that God would say, "This is how this works." This is kind of a framework that you can look upon my word and see the truth about who I am, because it's really about that, as about us trying to to, to see uh, the great glory of God, and to also in that in seeing that great glory of God, is to understand that which we just sang is that Jesus loves me. He is for me. And so, he puts these things together for us to see. So, I would say that the whole book of Acts is about expansion. It's about expansion. As as we noted from Acts chapter 1, verse 8, that Jesus tells the disciples, Go to Jerusalem and wait. Wait on the Holy Spirit's power. Wait on him to empower you that you might be witnesses of me... In Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost ends of the earth. So he gives them that framework, a, a pattern. Now, this is how this is going to work, and you must wait for me. But that, that you must know that this truth, that it is going to expand. And um, further, there's a, there's a framework of expansion of the word of God. Remember last week we talked about how those who were raised up to serve, and they were raised up to serve the church, was so that... The Word of God would go forth so that the Word of God would have its power, so that everything was centered around the Word of God. Service is good, helping each other, brothers and sisters within the body of Christ is good, but it is all subservient to the advancement of the ministry of the Word of God, and that those who are in leadership in a church were to be committed to the Word of God and to prayer. And that all of this service is to free them up to do just that, to be about the Word of God and to be about prayer, because that is God's plan in this. So when we look at the book of Acts, we can see that in this book, there's an expansion of the Word of God. You look at um, chapter 6, verse 7, for example, says, And the Word of God continued to increase. Then we move forward to chapter 12, verse 24. But the word of God increased and multiplied. Chapter 13, verse 49. So the word of the Lord was spreading throughout the whole region. In chapter 19, verse 20. So the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. The idea is that the word of God is going to expand. That that God is expansive. I remember as we were um, talking at Christmas time about Isaiah. Isaiah. Um, I'm thinking about this truth that in Isaiah says that that his government, there's no end to its increase. And I believe that that is a direct correlation with the fact that when the word of God goes forth, there's no end to its increase. It is intended to expand. It is intended to go about the world. And then... Further than just the expansion of the word of God, I think in the book of Acts, we see that there's an expansion of the witness of Jesus Christ, an expansion of of those who are submitted to and underneath and affected by, changed by, transformed by the Holy Spirit empowered word of God that we then become an expansive witness of Jesus Christ. That we, are witness, our sphere of influence starts to grow. And it, it is intended that it does grow. That our sphere of influence is not just in our homes or in our houses or in our just our familiar backgrounds. That it is about us um, as we surrender to the truths of being steadfast in the word of God and in prayer and fellowship and in communion and all those things that we do together. Right? That it is so that our witness would expand, that our sphere of influence would tend to grow. And I think that's God's intention for us here in the scripture. And when we look at, at Acts chapter one, verse eight, for example, right? There's the outline of the expansion of the sphere of influence that starts with just Jews in Jerusalem and it expands outward as it goes to Judea and Samaria. And then it expands outward. Their sphere of influence expands outward from that And then ultimately to the uttermost ends of the earth. If we look at chapters 1 through 5, we've been concentrating in the past here on the witness as it pertained to Jerusalem. Chapter 6, as we're starting here, starts to get us to the witness outside of Jerusalem. And that goes through chapter 12. And then chapter 13, when we get there, someday in 2017, maybe... that when we get there, we will see that from chapter thirteen until today, this book is unfinished. the The, the book of Acts is not finished yet. We are living in what we might call chapter twenty nine, right? <laughs> that that the church is still growing and expanding, and the word of God is expanding. And so, um, from chapter thirteen until today, this is about the witness to the uttermost end of the earth. That 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 our um, influence is to be spreading, that our um, our sphere of influence, the, the spheres that we have, is supposed to be um, extending. And it is going to, because there's a promise that, from Acts chapter 19, verse 20, that the word of the Lord continue to increase and prevail mightily, that the word of God will prevail, and that it will prevail mightily. That gives us hope, I believe, that, that when we think about expanding our own personal sphere of influence, that it's not about you, my friend. It's not about me. It's that the word of God will increase and prevail mightily. But we want to be on that program, don't we? We want to be on God's program as his word prevails, as his word expands, as the Spirit of influence, those things that he gives us, expands. And he gives us those opportunities through our own obedience to Uh, The very things that we talked about in Acts 2.42, being steadfastly about the apostles' doctrine, being steadfast about the word of God, being steadfast about fellowship one with another, not forsaking the gathering together of the saints as some are want to do, right? And that um, as we are steadfast about communing with God through the breaking of bread and through fellowship with one another, and then being steadfast about praying uh, to God for us. Um, So further, again, now I know I'm giving you a lot of background before I get to the meat, but we're getting there. So uh, a further sort of pattern that we see in this this text that I want you guys to get, and I've probably reminded you six or seven times of this, but I'm going to remind you again because I have to be reminded of it too. So there's a cyclic pattern as we look at gospel expansion in the texts. These things are true. Some of them are really hard for us. It, it's hard for us to, to imagine that um, we know that if we are steadfast about the word of God, that we if we are expanding our witness, that opponents are going to come. That we are going to be persecuted. That's not necessarily a feel-good part of this message, but it is part of the pattern. Um, it happens. It is true. And so we must know that. We must know that. Uh, that to have courage i kept thinking about this this week is that this whole message to me this morning this whole text is about courage it's about being courageous and that uh, courage in the word of god is not something that we muster we don't have to muster up courage we don't have to muster up strength um, it is a courage and a strength that comes from our submission to the word of god and submitting to his will And then having a knowledge of who he is and what he's doing in the world, we know that God's sovereign hand is at work and that it is going to come about as he said it is. That gives us great confidence, great confidence to step out saying, it's not about me. It's about God's word and it is going forward and it's going to accomplish what it's going to accomplish. So I need not have any fear because God is out front on this thing, right? I need not have any fear. So in this cyclic pattern of gospel expansion, we see that that Christians, empowered by the Holy Spirit, become leaders. They emerge and they preach the gospel. And then there are Holy Spirit-empowered listeners who hear the word of God and are converted and are added to the church. And then our next step, as I said, is that opponents begin to persecute the church. And then there's good news. God intervenes. God intervenes on behalf of the believer, on behalf of the church, and on behalf of the leader, and then it leads to this next step: is that the Holy Spirit empowered witness then grows. Persecution comes, and the Holy Spirit empowered witness then expands. So, don't need, don't feel troubled when it comes at you because it's going to. If you're not feeling persecuted and in trouble today, just wait. Hold <laughs> on. It'll come. It'll come. But when it does come, when it does come, we can have full confidence in Christ. And we can have full confidence in the word of God. So back to Acts chapter 6, verse 8. And Stephen, full of grace and power, was doing great wonders and signs among the people. Then some of those who belonged to the synagogue of the Freedmen, as it was called, and of the Cyrenians and of the Alexandrians, and of those from Cilicia and Asia Rose up and disputed with Stephen So we see something here That the servant ministry As we saw in Acts chapter 6, 5 through 7 Was that servant ministry began As the church becomes aware of an expansive responsibility As, as people were gathered to the body then there was an expansive responsibility They need help, they need serve They need um, guidance, they need direction They need somebody to help um, as it expands uh, this responsibility to the church's dis- disciples then it, this is all being undergirded as this continued expansive responsibility to the word God in prayer that the word God in prayer continues to be an expansive responsibility the more you know the more you're obligated to it are you not? I, do you realize that as we've grown in Christ and you start to become more and more like him then you realize I'm more and more responsible to that truth that I understand So our responsibility expands, and then – but the great thing about that is as our responsibility expands, then so does our sphere of influence. Our sphere of influence starts to grow outward, and everything that we've taken in of Christ, then it's, it's all meant for us to be pushing that away from us. To be going outward, it's not something we hang on to, and I believe that as we see in this text, and and, and we see how the, the the Jews in Jerusalem and just outside of Jerusalem at this time sort of responded to that truth is that they were really quite upset that they couldn't just hang on to this gospel, to this good news of Jesus Christ for themselves, that they couldn't just hang on to their religion, and that they they couldn't hang on to this. Um, this limited sphere of what was going on that this is mine and it's not yours Uh, it's meant only for me it's only meant for me and my family and for those who are related to me and for those who are like me that's what really upset them Is do you mean that this truth is for other folks this truth is for people that I really don't like oh no makes me think of Jonah I'm not going to Nineveh I'm not going to go there. Do you know who they are? Do you know what they're like? And then it was all because actually Jonah knew the compassion and the love of God. And Jonah said, no, you're going to have mercy on them people. And I'm not really fond of them. I don't necessarily really want to go there, right? I know you, God. I know your character and nature. And you're going to have mercy upon these people who are just dreadful. Well, the same thing sort of is going on here as Stephen is, is stepping out, right? There's these freedmen. These these were, were Jews who had been enslaved and then had been freed. And they, they met in a particular synagogue themselves as they wanted to separate and say, I want to be with those who are like me. And so they kind of excluded themselves from the larger group. And then... And you look at those who were um, Cyrenians and of uh, the Alexandrians, Jews that were from North Africa. Well, this was a step out, right? I'm stepping out into an unknown group of people. I'm stepping out towards people that I really don't know. And I'm stepping out into this, this, this great unknown that really just sort of scares me. And I, th- I thought about this, about this was to happen probably four or five years ago when I was like 20. So it wasn't for that long, um, but when I was a younger man and I was I was in the Marine Corps and um, I did um, my my boot camp in California in San Diego and there's a there's a, there's a little melting pot uh, of of folks as you as you head to boot camp you'll see you know that there's there's a, a population of African Americans there's a population of Hispanics there's population of Asians there's populations of Middle Easterners and. All that but it, in in, a, in this large group it's still predominantly white and it's, so it's still sort of comfortable well I get done with boot camp and I get home and I go and leave and I'm in my little white bread community in Beaverton where almost everybody is white at the time and there might be a few uh, other races nearby but uh, here I am this white boy and I get on a plane and I fly to get ready to go to my next duty station and I go to Charlotte, North Carolina, okay? So I get off the plane and I start walking through the airport and there was not a white person to be seen, not one. And I'm, I'm freaked out, like they have sent me to the wrong place. I even called home and talked to my grandmother and I said, hey, I think that the Marine Corps made a big mistake. I think that I was supposed to be sent somewhere else, but where they sent me, I'm kind of all alone here. I think this has got to be wrong. Well, uh, it wasn't, but you see the idea of when we start to get stretched out into the unfamiliar and that we become sort of a minority Um, As this sphere of influence starts to expand, we, we can become a minority. So you think about this as we gather together in church, and we would say that predominantly this is a room full of Christians, but step outside the door. Step outside into the world as it is. And you and I, my friends, are minorities in the world. We are up against people that are not like us necessarily, that might make us very, very uncomfortable. And so, as we step out into the unfamiliar, we we need to understand that we must have the courage to be uncomfortable. We must have the courage to face the unfamiliar. It takes courage to preach the gospel. It takes extreme courage to preach the gospel, doesn't it? It takes courage. Because you're alone. You're all by yourself. And you're up against it. You're up against great opposition as you go out there. And you're up against these oppositions, as we can see here from these guys, these this preconceived sort of notions about who they are. A, a preconceived notion about the way the world works. And you're coming in and saying something quite contrary to how they see the world work. Let's look at verse um, uh, 10. See, they disputed with Stephen, but they could not withstand the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. Because he was speaking forth the word of God, as directed by the Holy Spirit. They could not withstand that, because he had the truth. But they were opposed to it. So, then verse 11, Then they secretly instigated men who said, We had heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and God. And they stirred up the people and the elders and the scribes, and they came upon him and seized him and brought him before the council. And they set up false witness who said, This man never ceases to speak words against this holy place and the law. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and will change the customs that Moses delivered to us. Think about this, right? That's what we're up against in the world. What they were up against was this, is that the the sphere of influence was about to expand. It was about to expand outside of their family. It was about to expand outside of their, their ethnicity. Go to other ethnicities And go to other regions It's about to expand there And this is what they are up against They are up against this This Jesus Is troublesome for us This Jesus is troublesome for me Because if I deal with this truth If I deal with this Jesus Then I must change Something must happen in me I've got to deal with this And they're in absolute opposition to that Like This is my world. This is what I know about my world. And I want to hang on to that. And I bet that none of you guys are guilty of those sort of things. Where you just hang on to the way it's always been. And the way it always should be in our own minds. right? But as we apply the word of God to us. it, it, It should make us a tad bit uncomfortable. But it takes courage. It takes courage to preach the gospel to the unfamiliar. It takes courage To be uncomfortable and to apply the gospel that makes us uncomfortable. And that the thing that we give out to the world is to make them a little uncomfortable. It sort of purposes to do so. Now we need to try to do that in a winsome and loving way, right? We need to not be people who are out there beating people over the head with the truth of the word of God. But we need to know that going into it, that, that these truths that we say are going to make them uncomfortable... Number one, and probably secondary to that is that they'll think you a fool or they'll think you mean because you're telling them this truth and they've got to deal with some stuff, with their view of the world. They'll think you mean, cruel, unloving, and a hater of people, which is far from the truth. I like what R.C. Sproul says about this. He says, holiness provokes hatred. The greater the holiness, the greater human hostility toward it. It seems insane. No man was ever more loving than Jesus Christ, yet even his love made people angry. His love was a perfect love, a transcendent and holy love. But his very love brought trauma to people. This kind of love is so majestic that we can't stand it. Isn't that true? God's love is so majestic. It is so penetrating that when we're faced with it, sometimes we just can't stand it. We just can't stand the perfection of love because we recognize that in us we don't have that, that we're not that, that we're hanging on to these other things. And when perfect love starts to penetrate our hearts and our minds, there's some pushback. We wanna push back against that. We wanna push up against that perfect love because it's something that is very difficult For us to handle. Well. As they are saying these things. To Stephen. They all gazed at him. Verse 15. All who sat in the council saw that his face. Was like the face of an angel. It makes you think about. Moses doesn't it? This very one that they're saying. He's trying to destroy those traditions. This. Same Holy Spirit the same God that met with Moses and made his face to shine upon the people, knowing that what he is about to do and proclaim is an act of God, that, that God's plan was to increase his sphere of influence in the world, then it should tell us that this, this Stephen, this Stephen was set apart by God. This Stephen had been in the very presence of the Lord this Stephen knew and had confidence. He had confidence because he had been face to face with the living God. And in his face to face interaction with this living God, it empowered him. It empowered him to to go out and to be uncomfortable. It empowered him to go to people that he was very unfamiliar with, that he maybe even had disdain for. It empowered him to say, I trust God. It had gotten into him, right? The truth had penetrated him. He owned it. It was his. Now it's time to share that, right? To, to take that going forward. So they've questioned, or questioned Stephen. Stephen has been arrested. And then chapter 7, he begins to answer these questions. One of the things in chapter 7 that is amazing to me is that... He gives an expansive understanding of history. So you can read all of this that goes from um, chapter 7, verse 1 to verse 53. And it is the history of Israel as you see it in the scripture. But when you read it for itself, as you're going through book by book from Genesis and you're following out this history... It sort of reads as a chronological history of Israel without sort of the idea that we're going to see what what Stephen communicates about the history of Israel. And then you can read the Bible from the standpoint of looking at the people of Israel and looking at the church age and taking it all the way to the end of Revelation and see that this whole book is is an outline and a framework of redemptive history. It is the redemptive plan of mankind uh, from God. It is his redemptive plan for mankind from Genesis to Revelation. You can see that if you read it in that sense. But Stephen, he spans out an expansive understanding of history that Stephen's response is the history of God's expansive witness. That God's expansive witness works in the same way that he's calling the church to do it. In the same way that he personally had been called out to do it. Is to get out of what is comfortable. To get out of hanging on to tradition and religion. And to allow the Holy Spirit to move you on and expand the influence of the word of God. So we see in chapter 7 verse 1 that Stephen answers. He says... And the high priest said, are these things so? And Stephen says, brothers and fathers, hear me. The God of glory appeared to our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia before he lived in Haran, and said to him, go out from your land and from your kindred and go into the land that I will show you. Here's your sphere of influence. Leave home. Go here. Then further, he says, and he said to him, go out and go to the land that I show you. Then he went out from the land of the Chaldeans. And lived in And after his father died, so his father dies, and he says, Okay, now you, you're not hanging on to that fam- familial thing. I'm going to push you out further. We're going to push this thing further. That, that my glory is going to be expanded from your family, from your original uh, upbringing, and I'm taking you in another place yet. And so he moves him forward and he says, So after his father died, God removed him from there into this land in which you are now living. Yet he gave him no inheritance in it, not even a foot's length, but promised to give it to him as a possession and to his offspring after him, though he had no child. So here it is. He pushes him out, and he says, you're going to be uncomfortable, and I'm going to give you a promise. But here you are. You're pushed out. Now you're uncomfortable. You have nothing. I've given you no inheritance. I've given you nothing, but I pushed you out and gave you a promise. I gave you a promise. And why is Abraham such a pillar of Israel? Because he believed God. He believed him. He believed that God would fulfill his promise. He believed God, and it was counted unto him as righteousness. And so God moves him out. Then, uh, God spoke to this effect, that his offspring would be sojourners in a land belonging to others who would enslave them and afflict them 400 years. So now, I'm going to move you out I'm going to move you out to another land. I'm going to move you to a place where people will enslave you and where you um, will be afflicted by them for 400 years. Then I'm going to take you to this place. I'm going to push you out into this. Why? I wonder why. Well, it's tough, right? But where it is that he moves? Guess what? God's word goes forth in might and it prevails mightily even in their captivity. The word of God prevails mightily. And God was equipping a people To do another thing To expand again the gospel To expand again the truth of God's word That it would go forward But I will judge that nation That they serve, and said uh, Said God And after that they shall come out And worship me in this place And he gave him the covenant of circumcision And so Abraham became the father of Isaac And circumcised him on the eighth day And Isaac became the father of Jacob And Jacob of the twelve patriarchs So you see here I moved him out because I am creating a people God is creating a people See, they thought maybe it was all about a place Do you see that in their religious um, zeal that those that 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 Stephen was was speaking to at first said you know he's upsetting our traditions he's upsetting the law he's upsetting Moses and he's telling us that there's something beyond us that God has a plan beyond just Jerusalem that, that God has a plan beyond this, and, and and they thought that that it was really about that their relationship with God was about something that they could hang on to personally as a family, as a as a race of people, as a nation of people, that it was theirs, and that it was no one else's, and that they hid it, as it were, under a lamp, you know, under a shade. They, they hid the lamp so that you couldn't see the light because they wanted to hang on to it for themselves, and God says, and, and Stephen, God says through Stephen, that was never the plan. God's plan was all that I worked in you was meant to be given out from you. That that it was meant to be that the glory with which I showed you in Jerusalem, that glory was not to be put in a box, my friends. That glory was to be expanded. That the whole world might see and know the glory of God. And as we think about that as a church, isn't that the truth for us too? Is that we can get caught up in, in trying to be... Uh, Doctrinally right as a church, and having all those things are important. I'm I'm not saying they aren't. Trust me on that. Doctrine is important because what we believe then informs what we do, and that as we believe and understand who God is and how compassionate and gracious He is, as that fills us up, then we only then are we able to be compassionate and gracious towards others. We cannot do that unless we understand the very nature of who God is. We can't. Bring glory, uh, the glory of God to those outside of us until the glory of God has gotten in us. I I want us to understand that, that the glory of God has to get in us in order for us to give it out. But but you see this, that, that we as a church are not supposed to just hang on to that. So my admonition to us this morning as we get ready to go here is that God has given you a sphere of influence and that, that God's giving you one in your own home. He's giving you one in your neighborhood. But but that God is calling us to, to, to push that out further. That that, that the gospel witness can, can be in here in this room this morning as I proclaim it. That my goal is to proclaim the witness of Jesus Christ and tell you the truth about Him every single Sunday. I want to tell you the truth about Jesus Christ. And I want to tell you that over and over again. But here's the thing. That this witness is supposed to expand beyond these walls. And how does it expand beyond these walls? It's because of you and you and you and you who appropriate that truth in your life that you understand the glory of God. And only you can take it to your workplace. I'm not there with you. Only you can take it to your school. I'm not there with you. Only you can take it to your neighbor because I'm not there with you either. But as you see, as we grow up in this thing, and we start getting uncomfortable, um, stepping out in in, against the hostility, right? We know this that we've talked about this a couple weeks ago. That when there is hostility, there is also favor. There's also favor. It may seem that everything is opposed to us. Everything is opposed to the word that you're saying. But there's one who hears. There's one who hears. There's one who the Holy Spirit has stirred, and He hears or She hears what you are proclaiming, and guess what? By the Holy Spirit's power, they are saved, that God saves them, but He uses us to get that out there. So don't put your faith under a blanket and hide it. Don't put it there. That we are meant to expand our sphere of influence. And so that is my prayer for us this morning, is that the sphere of influence at Carleton Community Church would go to all the places where you live. Some people live in Sheridan, some people live in McMinnville, there's people... That's the expansive gospel, right? Once it leaves this place. So I say this morning is when you get ready to walk out those doors, that you are on a mission to expand the spirit influence of the truth of the gospel, that your gospel witness is meant to be expansive and grow. And we can trust God. We can trust his word because it tells us in his word that it is going to expand, that the word of God is going to prevail mightily. So preach it, preach it wherever you go. Let's pause quietly just for a moment before we pray and close. Let's just take a moment of silence in our own hearts to take in that which God spoke to you this morning, God, that which he spoke to me, um, those things that um, that are of him. If there was stuff that's not of him, don't let that penetrate your heart and mind, but let's just quietly listen to what God has spoken to us I thank you, God, for your great mercy and love and kindness towards me, towards us, towards this church. I pray, Lord, that you would empower us, strengthen us, uh, to increase our sphere of influence, that the gospel might be proclaimed wherever we go, and that that your witness in the world, that your glory is being expanded beyond these doors. I, I give you thanks, and I give you praise. In Jesus' name, amen.